Well, welcome. It's, uh, it's great to have you. Thankful you're able to participate uh, in this time with us. You know, one of the things I've noted uh, over the past, well, honestly, the past few years I've been here is I love getting to introduce you uh, to new people, to friends in ministry, as we think about ministries, think about the Christian life together, and occasionally grab these times. Particularly, it's, it's helpful during COVID when we're having this corporate ABF where we can think together about issues pertaining to the Christian life and to the local church. And so this morning, I have the joy of having a guest with us, Blake Boylston, who we're going to get to hear from uh, in just a few minutes, he's going to be preaching for us this morning as well, so we can look forward to that. Um, but one of the things we see in the New Testament is that churches often partner with other churches. Churches often cooperate. Uh, even in Philippians 1, Paul uses that language of being partners in the gospel and, and our partnership in the gospel. Uh, and we as UBC have wanted to think well about that. How can we partner with like-minded churches, help encourage gospel ministry? Because at the end of the day, we know we are fundamentally not about our little kingdom here, but about God's kingdom and what God is doing throughout the globe and in, in our own area. And so we want to rejoice and praise God for good gospel work that is happening in our area, and we want to promote that. Uh, and seek to be a blessing to it. Uh, so with that in mind, let me introduce Blake to you. And brother, just tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, um, how you became a believer, a little bit about your family. Yeah, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Blake Boylston. My wife, Julie, is with us as well. Uh, we have driven, driven up this morning uh, from the metropolis city of Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, it was no traffic, uh, nice weather with some uh, fog, but it was uh, nice to come in here with an easy drive. Uh, my wife and I live in Fort Smith. We've been there now for about nine to ten months with our three children. Uh, our oldest, Noah, is nine. Our daughter, uh, Avery, is seven. And our youngest, Titus, is two. Uh, I grew up most of my life in South Carolina in Georgia, so right there in the southeast uh, different type of Southeastern Conference teams, but uh, South Carolina for 10 years and about 19 years in Savannah, Georgia. I spent four and a half years in Washington, D.C. Uh, Brad and I crossed paths as I was coming into D.C. He was flying out of D.C. to move to Fayetteville, Arkansas in summer of 15. Uh, I became a Christian around 13 years old. I grew up in church, regularly going to church with my parents, but it wasn't until around 12 years old, that entire year, uh, the Lord began dealing with me in a more personal way, and around 13, I responded to the gospel uh, during a series of evangelistic talks, uh, was baptized a few weeks later, and began to follow the Lord. Uh, there was definitely some immaturity, and uh, maybe even struggles with my assurance of salvation for several years for a lack of discipleship, my own sin, and, and we moved around a good bit. But in college, several things happened kind of simultaneously. One, I met some believers in college that really loved the Bible and loved to preach the gospel on campus. And so it not only convicted me, but inspired me to read my own Bible. Uh, and then in 2001, another thing happened. I was exposed to Paul Washer's ministry. Uh, he was not a YouTube phenom, or, or maybe even, anyway, that depends on what you've been exposed to, but he was uh, used of the Lord uh, to challenge me in my own walk with the Lord and get in my Bible even more. And so from around 21 years old on, my desire for God's Word uh, grew at an insatiable rate. Eventually, Julie, we had kids. I ran a business with my father for almost eight years in the commercial cleaning business. So a church like this needs to be cleaned. I would be one of the janitors or the managers of that janitor cleaning a facility like this. And did that for eight years. And then through those eight years, we were a member of a church in town in Savannah. And it was through that local church that an aspiration towards pastoral ministry grew. And eventually, I was a bivocational pastor in Savannah of a small church called Quaco Baptist Church, about 30 people. I was both the janitor and the pastor, and uh, we were there for a couple of years before we moved to Washington, D.C., and I did the internship at Capitol Hill Baptist and became assistant pastor for about four years. So that's kind of a flyover of my upbringing in the last 10 years. So were you cleaning the church, and then they called you from janitor to pastor? Yes. So um, I was uh, 
I was cleaning their toilets and vacuuming their carpet and pulling their trash for three months. Uh, I recognized there wasn't much traffic in the building, so I almost thought it was a joke that they were paying me because it really was never all that dirty. Uh, but I eventually found out they didn't have a pastor, and I uh, offered my second line of services. I would offer to preach if they wanted someone to fill the pulpit. And after a few sermons and a couple of interviews, I continued cleaning the church, but also became their pastor. That's awesome. That's fun. Uh, now, brother, a number of the folks will recognize... Okay. A number of the folks will recognize your name uh, because if Blake Boylston sounds familiar, it's because we were regularly praying for Blake and for Julie as they settled in to Fort Smith as the senior pastor of First Baptist Fort Smith. Um, but you're not serving that capacity now. So maybe can you just just tell us a little bit of what transpired over the, the early parts and in the, in the middle part of this year? Yeah. Uh, so it's It'll be difficult to explain everything in grave detail in a setting like this, but in short, uh, approximately about 14 months ago, I was contacted by the chairman of the search committee of First Baptist Church of Fort Smith. Uh, Dr. Chain and I spoke for about a month over the phone. He had been listening to sermons along with their pastoral search committee. Uh, they were looking for a pastor after Dale Thompson had uh, shared openly for about a two-year plan to retire uh, after being the pastor there for 27 years. And then eventually they formed a transition team, a search committee, and then they eventually found me through a long, unique, mysterious chain of events of finding me. And so as we began a conversation, uh, actually one year ago this weekend, me and my wife uh, flew to Fort Smith and met with the search committee for two days and then about maybe... Was that the same weekend you were up here? Uh, it was about a month later. About a month later. So then mid or two weeks later, then um, mid-October of last year, we came to Fort Smith in view of a call. I went through about a five-day process of Q&A with the congregation, about 11 hours of questioning, and two sermons, and uh, they voted a 91.4% approval to call me as their next senior pastor. We accepted and flew here, uh, or Fort Smith, at the end of December. And uh, in a matter of about two months or so, there began to be some uh, division that arose in our congregation uh, centered around things with uh, either my leadership or my beliefs. Uh, but the division was so confusing because the things that were being discussed were things that I spoke openly about both in writing and in uh, recording prior to my candidacy. And, and just basic things like my understanding of soteriology, a more reformed understanding of salvation, or my understanding of a plurality of elders and membership, uh, and things of that nature. Uh, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump, so there were some things that were said that were unfortunately false and not entirely true, and people believed it without going through some different, I think, conversations one-to-one, -one, and the division grew so sharply that within three months, right before COVID uh, touched all of our lives in a pretty profound way, uh, the deacon body had a, a fairly sharp disagreement on whether or not I would be the senior pastor to move forward. And so in, for the sake of peace for the church, uh, for the health of the church long-term, and for the good of our own family, uh, I desire to step down and resign as a lead pastor with the contingency to stay in the area and plant a new work. Uh, part of that was because when Julie and I were considering coming here a year ago, uh, we said yes. We believed with all the confirmation we had received, uh, both in Fort Smith and also our own hearts, as well as from the counsel and encouragement from those back home in D.C., we felt this was God's will for our life. And so we plan to be here in the state of Arkansas for 20 plus years, put our kids in school and live life. And so when there was uh, confusion and uh, division that arose, I didn't think it was wise long-term uh, to continue to kind of uh, work on something that wasn't going to get resolved anytime soon. And so the COVID-19 didn't make it any easier for us because communication uh, became more difficult, and we couldn't gather. And so in 
mid-April, I resigned and stepped down as the senior pastor at First Baptist Church, Fort Smith. So, obviously, that was an exceedingly difficult season uh, for you and for your wife, and no doubt for the church. I'm sure the church didn't anticipate that season, um, and yet, you know, sort of there it was. Uh, What ways can we be, do you think, praying for First Baptist Fort Smith? Yeah, I think... I think at the end of the day, we should have a love for every local church that seeks to be faithful. When you see Jesus walking amongst the lampstands, the churches in the seven churches of Asia Minor, every church has both their healthy and unhealthy aspects. UBC has healthy and unhealthy aspects. No church is glorified or perfect on this side of heaven. So I would pray that the saints who are seeking to be faithful at First Baptist I pray that they would hold fast to the gospel. Uh, I pray that they would heal, uh, that they would persevere in the faith. Pray that they would uh, seek peace as much as possible. Uh, But also uh, to consider what it would look like uh, to repair relationships that have been broken. Uh, Again, there's always two sides to every story. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, First Baptist and the situation I, I was in was not the first time something like this has ever happened in history, but praise the Lord, we serve a God who is not caught off by surprises. Uh, he can work all things for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so pray for the faithful saints that uh, want to continue to uphold the gospel, uh, that that light would shine brightly on the north side of town, and pray that they have wisdom on the pastor they do call next. Pray that they look in passages like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. Pray that they think carefully about those next steps and how they can best love their congregation and find God's man for that role. So that would be the, probably the best way. Why don't we pray for him now? Yeah. God, we do give you uh, praise for the gospel work that has happened in Fort Smith, the, the gospel work that's happened through First Baptist Fort Smith. And while we, we grieve the kind of divisions and and the disunity that erupted earlier this year. Lord, we know, as Blake just shared, that uh, such things are not beyond you, that you are not caught off guard. You're not sitting up there in heaven, wringing your hands, confused and uncertain as to what to do next. And we trust in some way that is inconceivable to us now, but not to you at all, uh, that the gospel would be glorified and that your name would be glorified, both at First Baptist Fort Smith and in this new work. And that these two churches can be churches that even one day themselves can obviously and evidently partner together in the gospel. That the saints there would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, That any divisions uh, that have erupted over the last year and and even just the personal relationships, you know, different members of the congregation who were supportive and friends who weren't supportive uh, and the confusion that created and a lot of the, the, the rumors and some of the false narratives. God, we pray that you would you'd bring some peace and some clarity and some reconciliation through all of that principally so that your name would not be drugged through the mud. Um, but in Fort Smith, there would be clear um, and compelling witnesses to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah. So that was sort of the last number of months. And yeah, so tell us about sort of plans going forward. And, and let's, we're going to spend the rest of our time thinking about that together. Yeah, so of course, when two very difficult things happen at the same time, uh, you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. We're going to look at that a little bit in Philippians 1, how Paul had that same type of dilemma when he was in prison in Philippians 1. Uh, but when those two things collided, one thing that was super clear to me, and I don't think it's because I'm godly or I heard a voice from heaven, but I remember when Julie and I were talking about what are we going to do, uh, I told her, well, I'm not sure how all this is going to turn out, but I know we're supposed to be in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And a couple of reasons for that. Number one, uh, we had said yes prior to coming. Like it was, uh, we left all things behind. We're counting the costs and going forward. So there was a conviction I thought it was the pickup truck. Well, the pickup truck was a nice addition to getting rid of Uber and walking everywhere. So the F-150 was a nice addition. Um, so when we, when we came, uh, there was, even though there was division that arose in the congregation, there was a warm, consistent warmth 
uh, from some dear saints at the church that continued to minister to Julie and I and our kids, uh, to encourage us, uh, to reaffirm the yes that the congregation had voted uh, for me to come uh, months prior. And so during that time, I started thinking there are some dear saints here who genuinely still want me to be their pastor. Uh, no one manipulated me. No one bribed me. Uh, but I told Julie, if there, if there would be a flock, regardless of the number, desire me to be their pastor on a different part of town, uh, then I would happily stay and pastor that flock. And so through a series of about two to three weeks of conversations, unsolicited from me, it was voiced to me by some of these saints that they would be willing uh, to be a part of a new work on where we live, which is in Chaffee Crossing, which is on the southeast side of town towards uh, Greenwood. And so prayers began, uh, some plans for what would happen next, and caffeine has arrived. Thank you, Aaron. Um, the thought then would be, when would we plant, why would we plant, and who would come? And so the when was a totally to be determined because COVID made everything confused for everyone. So our living room was the only thought I had or my backyard. Or, or the when would be probably sometime in the summer or fall. But the, the why actually came from a conviction that in the New Testament, you plant churches not in protest to other churches, you plant churches because churches are the pillar and buttress of the truth. There's no other organism on planet Earth that's been entrusted with the mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples of Jesus. It's not the schools. That's not the government. That's not even parachurch organizations. That's not even private schools. It is the local church. And because there's 90,000 or so people in Fort Smith, and then there's even more in the surrounding towns of us, as I looked at most of the congregations, with the exception of about four or five congregations, most congregations were well under 150 people. So that goes to show me that there's not, no, not everyone's going to church and not everyone has heard the gospel. I think secondly, uh, the folks that were desiring to see a new work begin and to see me pastor them were very like-minded in how we understood the local church. And so whether you know this or not, a local church is not as easy to begin as you might think. It's not like starting a new store or maybe Walmart bringing another subdivision down to another part of the state. But you have to get down to what does the Bible say about the local church. And I think there's a lot of Christians, well-meaning, love the Lord, have never asked that question. They've always asked, what does it mean to follow Jesus? But what does it mean to follow Jesus in the fellowship and accountability of the local church. And so as I set foot here, there were definitely saints that were willing to revisit this again, study these passages afresh, and that type of excitement led into momentum into May and into June that it wasn't just 10 or 12 people that were interested in studying the Bible afresh on this topic, uh, but close to about 90 to 100. And, uh, and so this would kind of lead to the last part is confirmation. One thing that I was determined to do in light of some of the division and the um, false things that were said, I said, Lord, if, if the conviction's from you and you want a church planted, even in the midst of this unfortunate circumstance and COVID-19, you're going to have to bring the flock to me. I'm not going to go fishing in other people's ponds. I'm not going to go uh, solicit or steal sheep from other pastures. You're just going to have to bring them. And to this day, it's been four months since that first living room conversation. I have not asked but one person to come to the church, and that would be my wife. And uh, by God's grace, in a lot of long hours of teaching and prayer, as of next Thursday, we will have right at about 90 covenant members. Those are... 90 people who have gone through eight core team classes, an hour and a half piece. Uh, we've traveled to four different meeting places over that two-month period. So if you're really dedicated, you're going to keep tracking, tabernacling around Fort Smith. Um, and the Lord has confirmed through favor with my former church 
in uh, granting us the uh, freedom, if you will, to plant a church and to begin meeting in a, an adjacent town uh, in Barling, Arkansas, that was uh, within a certain mileage that I agreed to stay clear of, but their favor towards us and the opportunity to begin this work there, we have also found a meeting place that will meet our needs. And so uh, we are in the process of moving things in. Uh, we are in the final stages of membership interviews. We have finished all the core team meetings, and now we're about to meet for the first time a week from today uh, as we pray and plan for the weeks ahead to gather as a church. So lots of confirmation, lots of encouragement, and, uh, and I've seen the Lord work in ways that, uh, honestly, I, I, it, would be, it would be trivial to even try to explain to you in details of things that the Lord's done. So up to this point, we are very encouraged. These last four, four months have been uh, pretty amazing. Well, that's encouraging to hear. I know I've been able to hear some of those stories, and we might get to hear a few more of them as the, as the time goes on. Uh, one of the things that if you're in ministry at all, or if you live in a city and you happen to meet a new church planner, sometimes church planners can talk as if they've parachuted into the city, and now Jesus is going to be preached for the first time ever. And like, now the gospel's going forth in this town, when in reality there have probably been multiple uh, faithful, healthy churches that have been preaching the gospel for decades, if not centuries, in some of these places. Um, so how have you sought to cooperate? Now, I think you even hinted there a moment ago that you got the blessing of First Baptist Fort Smith and what you were doing. Um, so, you know, they're not, they're not antagonistic. They're not saying you can't do this. You know, they're saying, no, listen, I mean, don't plant, like, in our backyard next door to us. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, they're not... Uh, protesting what you're doing. You've gotten sort of their blessing, so to speak. How have you thought about, about not acting unilaterally, um, but seeking cooperation from other churches as you're going about it? Yeah, so not only did we have favor from the leadership uh, from First Baptist to begin meeting in a building within a certain mileage from First Baptist, uh, but I have built friendships over these last four to five months with about six different pastors in the Fort Smith area. Most of them are a part of the Concord Baptist Association, which is that local Baptist association of, of churches that cooperate together in the River Valley. And so I've gotten to know Jeff Thompson, who is the associational missionary, and spent time with him. I've been to several meetings. Of course, we've had many cancels since COVID. Uh, but I have sought to keep my hands wide open and say, hey, listen, we might have disagreements over minor issues, whether related to soteriology or ecclesiology, but if you want the gospel to go forth in the River Valley, and if we can cooperate together and encourage one another and even help share pulpits from time to time uh, for pulpit supply, I am all for that. And so we have sought to do our due diligence in partnering with other churches in the River Valley by applying for membership in the Concord Baptist Association. So showing all our documents, being very transparent. We've also uh, had favor from another church to be a sponsor church in Fort Smith. So Oak Cliff Baptist Church, Pastor Kent Sweatman. Some of you may have even attended or were members there at one point in time if you were in Fort Smith. Uh, but Kent is a wonderful brother. I think he's in his late 50s, early 60s, and he's kind of taken me under his wing as a mentor-like friend uh, he's been aware of some of the challenges that I've had to face uh, in the last four to five months. Uh, but he, along with his elders and deacons, uh, have met with me, asked me questions. They've seen all our documents. They have access to every core team meeting that's on re uh, recording. They can listen to them. And their church unanimously voted in affirmation of our church coming into the Concord Baptist Association. So now it's just a final a matter of some finer I guess, uh, decisions that have to be made towards the end. Uh, we've also are going to be moving towards being a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, seeing that it's the largest evangelical, Protestant, gospel, mission-minded uh, organization in the world. Uh, I figured that would be a win, uh, especially among some seminary heads that I am super encouraged about where they've taken their seminaries. Uh, and I hope to be a part of what the Lord's doing uh, through those cooperation of churches around our country and the world in the days ahead. We'll certainly reevaluate every year like every other church needs to do and pray and think about that. Uh, but also my friendship with, with Brad uh, through the years and knowing that 
I was considering Fort Smith, Arkansas, Brad Wheeler was the first Macedonian man to say, brother, consider this call. You could be an hour from me. And what a wonderful privilege it would be to have two brothers uh, that are like-minded in some of these key issues. And so since I've arrived, Brad and I have kept in touch. Uh, and yeah, because it might help folks to know, we didn't know each other in D.C., so you just, you had a very memorable first moment with me where I was teaching at a weekender. You happened to be there, maybe visiting from, you were down in Savannah at the yeah, time, yeah. visiting, and he asked me a question on elders, and my answer was so compelling, he says he can't remember a word of it. <laughs> I, I think he kindly dismissed it because he had a lot of other things he needed to get to, to do, but he, he, I'm sure he was respectful and, and theologically accurate. Um, but about two years later, you know, I, I show up, I got an acceptance letter uh, from the church to be an intern, and his name was on the sheet, but I'm sure maybe a PA might have sent it. And I met him for the first time, technically, in the, uh, the fellowship hall during his goodbye dinner. Uh, he was preaching one of his last sermons at the church and introduced myself, and I was coming in, and, and he was heading out. So Brad and I had not really known each other, but we have mutual friends uh, a, cu- a couple of pastors that we have dear friendships with. And um, yeah, so since I've been here, Brad's been a source of encouragement as well as Guy. Guy Wilcox has been a, a just amazing brother who has driven down to encourage us, even help us uh, in facilitating some of the finer installation things that we need for our building because all I know how to do is preach and pastor. I have no idea what to well, do you can with clean. sound. I can clean too. Yeah. I can clean too if you need that, um, but we have been thoroughly encouraged that we've been up here just to fellowship a few times, and, uh, and so I think uh, a church like University Baptist Church right here in the state of Arkansas within an hour that really is going to be at its DNA level the most like-minded church that I have come across in my nine or ten months of being in Fort Smith, and so that's one thing that we've been encouraged by is to know there's another church just up the, up the road that's seeking to be faithful in the same way. I want us to think for a little bit uh, in just a moment about planting and the kinds of people that come and how you form teams and, and how you think about building into teams. But I just want to stop to see if, if any, at this point any of you all have any questions for Blake. And I want this to also be a conversation, so obviously we're discussing, and there's some things I think he can share with us that are helpful. But I also want to hear from you up until this point. Just any questions, things you'd like to, to hear Blake talk a little bit more about? Yeah, Danny. Ah, okay. So I think the question is, um, you came, I think Danny's asking, you came to Pastor First Baptist Fort Smith. How would you have thought about planting from the beginning in Fort Smith? So, I mean, maybe the question a little bit is, is it fair to say the question, Danny, is why did you first consider pastoring an existing church over planting a new one? As the pastor at First Baptist? Um, I think he's just saying... Oh, if I was still in D.C.? Oh, yeah. Well, I um, just to be honest with you, I didn't know where Arkansas was on the map. Um, that might just speak more to my ignorance of the U.S. map. But I had never been to Arkansas, so it wasn't on my top 25 uh, most obvious places I was considering. I was certainly desirous to go back down south to Georgia and South Carolina. It's kind of like putting on an old pair of jeans. Uh, I know the culture. I know the people. I know some of the challenges. I had pastored down there, been married down there, raised kids down there, uh, grew up down there. Uh, but when Fort Smith, Arkansas came on the, the radar, it just had never even crossed my mind. The only person I knew in the state of Arkansas was Brad. Um, so, and I hyped it up big time. Oh, yeah. He yeah. gave me the, the, the Macedonian call on a Monday morning, of all things, after I'm trying to get cranked up for the week. Um, you know, I think at first I probably would have said, Lord, I think you got the wrong guy. Wait, why is a church needing to be planted in Fort Smith, Arkansas? Because it seems like there's plenty of church buildings in the area. But I think you could probably say that about many places in the United States until you actually get there and find out what's going on. Uh, and so I think on the front end, it would have been a very hard sell to tell me 
uh, Blake, you're going to plant a church in Fort Smith, Arkansas, because I had no family here. Uh, it didn't seem like an unreached people group or an unengaged group by the IMB. Uh, but once I got here and began swimming in the water and understanding better why the search committee and this congregation was desirous for me to be their pastor, I got a better sense that I could see there's an open door for good work here. So that would be my best shot at that. I appreciate answer. the swimming illustration. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Other questions for, for Blake? Caleb? Yeah. yeah, so just maybe to restate the question for folks um, listening in, sort of why the, the decision to step down then, maybe assuming, yeah, as opposed to trying to press through and see if you couldn't build unity in sort of cohesion and, and hang on longer term. Yeah, I think it's an excellent question, and that was one that I wrestled with, with, a, I would say, a small group of counsel, about 10 to 15 uh, men and women through those really difficult weeks and months before I made that decision. In Matthew chapter 18, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What's interesting, that same passage is quoted by Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 about bringing a charge to an elder. So not to bring just any arbitrary or trite accusation to an elder, let there actually be some concrete evidence that is confirmed by others by really exercising Jesus's plan for correction, rebuke, and reconciliation. Uh, with, without going into grave detail, uh, knowing that I am being recorded and I don't know who's here, um, I would say um, one of the biggest reasons why I stepped aside is that my opponents did not want to meet with me. I offered. I emailed. And they didn't. And I was determined for this to go to a congregational vote because I'm a congregational man. But with every week that passed, the division grew at such speed and it was so awful, the slander that was publicly done, that hurt a whole lot more people than me and my wife. There were grown men and women weeping. Some of them even saying, we are so sorry. We would totally understand if you leave Arkansas and never come back again. We are so embarrassed. What was hard for me is I wanted to take this to a congregational vote because I believed... I believe by faith I would have won that vote to remain the pastor. But according to the bylaws, it didn't have to require a large vote for that to happen. And because of the opposition that I was facing, the thought of pastoring a church in the first four months of having this type of opposition to my leadership was not only going to be detrimental to me and my wife on the front end, but it was actually deeply hurting people who really loved us. And so at the end of the day, I met with people for about a month, and when I threw out the idea of resigning, stepping down with this contingency for the sake of peace at this church, but a new work elsewhere, uh, there was basically unanimous support of that. Uh, I don't. I didn't have anyone object to that to me. I had a question or two, but never an objection. So, I do think in many situations a brother can continue to persevere. But when I opened up myself to one dear brother who had been through a similar situation, but it didn't happen till year two or three, he said, "Brother, I don't know what to tell you. It's very clear that the enemy doesn't want you 
in this community right now. So he had some words of advice, but I think uh, looking back, I have zero regrets about that decision. And, And I would say, by God's grace, this is not speaking to me as a wise man or a sinless man. I I lack wisdom and I am sinful. But the Lord has shown me the power of a clear conscience. When Paul talks about a clear and a clean conscience that you can stand before God and man, that's what kept me week in, week out going, I have no regrets about what I've said or done, and I trust the Lord with the outcome. So that would be my answer. And pray for the prosperity of that church in this next season. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, maybe as you're thinking about planning a church, when churches come into an area, and sometimes when people hear about a church plant, there's often a lot of excitement. You know, people are talking about, oh, there's a new work, and, you know, maybe a new pastor, new team, and there's this sort of curiosity, oh, I wonder what that would be like. I wonder if I should be a part of that. Um, So do you just plant a church with everyone who wants to come? Or how do, you, how do you assess that? Because you've already noted 80 or 90 covenant members, and you've told me you're doing all these membership interviews on the front end. Um, so you're awfully busy in this season. So how have, how have you worked through that? And maybe what counsel would you have to people here as they think about possibly going out with a church plant of UBC this next year? Well, hopefully the, if there's a church plant coming out of UBC, it won't happen the same way this plant has, has gone through. But... I would say ideally to go out with a church plant that already has uh, men who are qualified to be elders is probably the wisest and best way to start Uh, because my former pastorate did not have officially an understanding of elders in the same way that I do. uh, I didn't have that luxury to begin with. Uh, So on the front end, there were about four men Uh, that I have been watching since day one, and through all the very difficult things that we went through, they rose to the occasion. Uh, It was like they were put through that fiery furnace, and I saw the gold that the Lord was showing me of some qualified men who could serve as, as elders or at the very least deacons as well because they were doing both types of ministry. And so I met with them uh, for the first probably six to eight weeks regularly having three to four hour meetings on prayer, um, constitution and bylaws, statement of faith, church covenant, ministry philosophy. I, I was like, guys, I'm a pinata. Hit me. Hit me with every question you got. I'll try to clarify everything. And so that, that was my main goal was to start going deep with a few so that I would have at least, uh, functionally speaking, some men of like faith and godly character to shepherd the load with me at least until one day we can publicly affirm them well I again I didn't solicit or market or look for people to join this church we don't have a church website we don't have pamphlets I didn't tell anyone anything unless you just like found me somehow discovered where I was living and uh, through the weeks emails continued to come in going hey I heard you're planning a church when are you starting to meet? I heard you're planning a church. When are you starting to meet? And so eventually, through May, we just had house fellowships where we met in groups of 10 to 15 where I can just get to know you. We're not doing Bible study. We're not talking about even the church. We're just getting to know each other. And then we waited all the way till the second week of July to begin core team meetings. So you've got to have some patience and some skin in the game to be interested in this because I've waited deliberately for months. But Basically, I told folks, if you're interested in joining this church, you are required to be at all eight core team meetings. If you miss one or two because of vacation or other arrangements that you just can't get out of, that's totally fine. They're recorded. Just make sure you tell me you've listened to them if you have any questions. Uh, But So they've been through all eight, and I figure, okay, if you've been through all eight, and I have Q&A in all of these, so they can ask any question they want about what we just talked about. Give give folks a sense. What are these core team meetings discussing? So the eight that I came up with that I thought would be really useful, not only because of some of the things that came out of my last situation, but because of just my understanding of the church. So the first one was really a philosophy of why are we even planting? So the first one was why plant? And I gave a biblical theology of truth how we serve a God of truth, a gospel of truth, Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life, and how we exist to uphold the truth. 
Second core team was really just getting to know me, my testimony, my calling to ministry, uh, ministry philosophy, and things that you might want to know about me if you become a member of this church. Then we went through a statement of faith, word for word, every dot and tittle of the document, and took questions. Week four, church covenant, same thing. Week five, constitution and bylaws, same thing. It was like eating chalk, but we got through it. Um, And then we worked through everything from elders and deacons. What are they? What do they do? We worked through missions and outreach. We worked through corporate worship and discipling. Uh, So we hit about eight different topics in those core team meetings uh, that I think would cover the wide range if this would be the church you feel like the Lord's leading you to. And then the membership interviews that Brad said. You know, in in most pastoring situations, you're not going to experience Pentecost in the first four weeks. Uh, I don't have 3,000 people coming, but uh, 85 membership interviews in four and a half weeks. So you do your math. I have a family. There's other things that go into church planting. Each membership interview lasts between 40 minutes to an hour. So the last five weeks have have been a busy season. But that's an opportunity for me to get to know each person on an individual basis and allow them to ask me any question they want, any clarifying question, any struggle they're having, anything they are objecting to, any hesitation in joining our church, signing the church covenant. Um, And so those have been super useful Uh, We've only had, I think, maybe a small handful remove themselves from the core team meetings around week four to say, I don't think this is going to be for us. What kind of reasons, out of curiosity? Um, I think in the statement of faith, we do have an article on election, and I think it was a hard pill for that particular uh, gentleman to swallow. And I think think it was totally understandable if you've never been taught the doctrine of election and God's sovereignty and salvation— And I told people, listen, this is not a a hurried up thing. If you just need to be taught further, if you have further questions, that's that's discipling. But if you're objecting to it, maybe maybe consider going to a church where you do line up more um, smoothly with someone else. Or maybe come back this fall or meet with me regularly. We can talk more about it. But we just had a few that said, maybe this isn't going to be the church for us. So, but yeah, that's... That's been our effort. I would say, ideally, I would have, uh, similar to the question the brother asked, I would have, I would never recommend starting with 90 in your core team. That's massive. You know, that's just, that's a lot of people. But the hunger, the teachability, uh, the humility that's been exemplified amongst these saints gives me no hesitation to think these are the 85 to 90 that the Lord wanted to start this church with. So... So folks here that might be thinking about whether or not they should go out with a church plant, Lord willing, as you know, under different circumstances, um, but, you know, if, if we're going to be sending out and thinking about sending, you know, a pastor, uh, Lord willing, with a kind of core team of qualified pastors mm-hmm. and other members who wonder, should they be a part of that? Any particular counsel for them? How, how, how do they assess? Are they the kind of person that ought to go? Yeah, I mean, if I had to just kind of give my elevator answer, it's just basically what I say everyone and then everything else could be more nuanced. I think number one, I want to ask, why are you leaving? Why are you considering leaving? Like, are there reasons why you should leave? In other words, uh, is there a maturity and giftedness and providential circumstance that lends itself to think going to do this new work with that team seems very wise and eternally a wonderful investment? But if you're really struggling in your spiritual growth, um, there's some areas of your own life where you're realizing you need to be a part of a more established church for a season of time to to grow, whether that's in your marriage or your own personal holiness or your understanding of the local church. I would always say it's much better to wait and sit than just hastily jump off to the first thing. Uh, So you don't need to be leaving to plant a church Uh, for negative reasons, you need to have some positive reasons to do it. I think secondly, communication. So if you do join that that core team, beyond just seeking counsel, seek counsel from other people, uh, just have lots of communication. Ask every conceivable question you can come up with. What's evangelism going to look like in this community? What's the music going to be like? Uh, How were elders functionally the same or different than UBC? Like, Think of 25 to 30 scrolling questions because the more you communicate, 
the more clarity will be brought. The less you talk about things, the more you're setting yourself up for unrealistic expectations. So counsel uh, and patience on the front end, and then, yeah, just talk a lot about it with the team that's going to get a better understanding. Now, you're thinking about your first service on September 20th. Is that right? Sort of covenanting service. So it's a church plant. Now, you have a large team, but nonetheless, like, you're just beginning. So how do you think about ministries that are necessary and those things that are optional? Like, will you have children's ministry? How does a church plant think about this stuff? It's, it's excellent. I'm not an expert. I'm literally in the middle of all this. So... I think beyond just us getting together and trying to get to the family dinner table and have a meal, so preach God's word, sing together, uh, sit together, you know, just functionally be in the building together. The two most important things on my mind are the production side of making sure we have sound so people can hear. Uh, The air condition is on 24 hours in advance because the building we're going to be in uh, gets hot. So just functionally making sure the structure aspect of it is going to be livable for us. But the other side of it is children. We do have about 30 young children who are coming with us. Um, there will be about four teenagers who've gone through the core team classes and have already been through their membership interview, but the rest are going to be basically about 12 and younger. Uh, so we do have needs to serve. And I told the Uh, members or prospective members that zero to five years old is the most important. Let's help mom and dad out, the youngest of the bunch, and then we'll expand it out from maybe six to nine. But right now, sound, the facility, the just basic functional ability to get in the building, and then young children. Things for our Sunday school and small groups, deacons and elders, I've told them I'm going to be teaching a lot this fall and into this spring. I don't want us to pretend we are a big church doing big church things when we're not. We just need to do the simple things well, be faithful in a little. The Lord may entrust to us much. So at the very beginning, I told them, if you want to have people at your house and study the book of Romans, go for it. If you want to get together and read a solid Christian book together, go for it. But we're not forming official Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church small groups or Sunday schools more than likely until the beginning of next year because we want to get our house in order before we start extending our arms to the equipping and discipling wings of our church. And so how have you thought about planting like in the pandemic? So, I mean, so just week one, you already said, well, we were hoping for air conditioning and you've had guy down there to make sure you've got some sound and, and things. But I mean, what else will it look, well, it's going to look like social distancing, masks, you know, just, and how has that process been? Because it's tricky enough to communicate about sort of core themes and core principles when you're planting a church, let alone the kind of division that something like COVID can sneak in to a, to a young congregation. Yeah, maybe one day if, if someone is bored and think this would be worth their time to write a, write a book or an article on this whole experience, uh, I could tell a lot of interesting stories, but doing it in the middle of COVID-19 Uh, has also added another layer of mysteriousness to the whole thing. I would say, though, I I don't envy pastors right now, maybe even Brad, that have larger congregations. Because we are so, so much smaller and we've been able to find meeting places that actually house our needs, it's, it hasn't been as difficult for us to meet regularly. Uh, so we've been able to distance ourselves for the most part. We wear a mask except when I'm preaching or when our lead singers are up on stage, we, they take their mask off. But we've, we've certainly worn masks just like you guys. Uh, we are thinking about the social distancing aspect in our new building. It might not be as distanced as, as you guys get to have, uh, but we're going to do our best. Um, yeah, I would say it's, it's added a layer of, of oddness, but I, I think it's just added another layer to the commitment because we don't have live stream. We don't have any internet presence. So basically, those who are coming want to be there. They signed up to be there, and I know who they are. So the smallness in the midst of COVID-19, I think, has actually been an advantage and a challenge that hasn't been against us rather than maybe larger churches that have to think about this on a whole different scale. So, so far, it's been actually uh, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Friends, 
I want to pray for, for the ministry of Traffic Crossing and pray for Blake and, and here in a few minutes. But I'd love to see what other questions you might have, whether or not it's about church planning or whether or not it's been in the process of trying to, to train up and raise up uh, leaders there, thinking through that, obstacles he's faced, evidences of God's grace. You've had some unique evidences of God's grace and kindness to you all. Uh, but any, yeah, any questions from you? I knew that question would eventually come from someone, maybe not here, but elsewhere. So I have given some thought to that. And the question, just for folks who didn't hear, is how do you think about giving counsel to folks, stepping into sort of more an established church and trying to pastor that versus planting a new church? Yeah. In some ways, it's, there's no exact answer I could give that's going to be the silver bullet. Um, I think what I have learned is this. If you have a vast majority of leadership for you, you can take on a huge mountain. You can take it on. I think Titus chapter 1 would be one of my proof texts. When Paul tells Titus how they're going to set things in order, he says, get the right leaders in place. I was placed in a situation where that was not exactly on the back end uh, very clear. Um, it was a little more divided. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges he had, there were they had a category of inactive leaders. So you can be an inactive member and also an inactive leader. And that, and in a situation like that, that can be very hard. So, yeah, well, even when you have leadership and decision-making gets blurred, uh, even roles on staff were super confusing. Even those on staff weren't even sure what kind of authority they had. Um, so I think if you have the leadership, the vast majority for you, whatever that church's leadership polity is, I think you can persevere and push through in many revitalization situations. I, don't, I think if you don't have the leadership, a house divided will not stand. It's going to fall. And there will be different examples of different men's ministries uh, with different outcomes. Uh, so again, the silver bullets, I would say leadership would be one. I think the other thing that's become even more clear to me You've also got to see where the health of the congregation is, the age of the congregation is, and the numbers of that congregation. Uh, this is, again, a case-by-case -case situation, but First Baptist has a large congregation with thousands of names on a membership roll, but those thousands don't attend regularly on Sunday. And so when you're talking about congregational votes, you're talking about how to get things moving in the congregation, it's very difficult when you're not sure who the congregation is. So if it's a much smaller church, you'll know who they are, and you can pastor those people, I think, patiently and clearly. But if you don't really know who the congregation is, I think the challenge gets even harder. I think what's become more clear to me is, is the man, if he's going to go out and plant, or he's going to go out and pastor, revitalization or plant, how deep are his convictions because the deeper your convictions are and even more refined they are the harder it's going to become to find a church that's going to match all those convictions you shouldn't expect that it's like getting married you know I want to look for these 25 things in a future spouse well that's unrealistic you'll never get married uh, but in the same breath you got to see how steep and deep your convictions are in line with where their convictions are and to see if they're teachable and you're patient to see how long it's going to take you to get there. But what I discovered, there were convictions at First Baptist that were much deeper than I was informed on the front end that I think became a point of disagreement and disunity. So, yeah, I would think leadership and convictions would have a huge say on whether you need to start a new work or persevere through an existing one. Other questions for Blake? Yeah. How has this experience affected marriage? I think ask me in two years, I'll give a better answer. Um, 
I think, number one, um, you weep with those who weep. Uh, my wife has graciously bore up the pain of seeing uh, her husband slandered, um, our family embarrassed, and to see her persevere through that, I think, speaks to her character. Uh, to see her holding fast to Christ, even when in the moment uh, everything that's being done to you doesn't honor the Lord. I think as a husband, I continued just to remind myself what my wife most needs is not to see a man who has it all together, not a man who doesn't weep or get angry or holds it all in, but sees a man that says, it is worth the cost of suffering for Christ if that be the lot God gives us. And I think it's refined her faith, it's refined my faith, and if anything, uh, it, we are marveling, we are rejoicing, we are singing with tears in our eyes of God's faithfulness and his kindness to work good even in the midst of, of evil in these last four to five months. And I imagine three to five years from now, we will grow in even greater praise for that. But one word of caution that a brother gave me, um, he's an older man in a different part of the country, and he just uh, exhorted me to continue shepherding my wife month after month, year after year, and asking how she's doing because he said, brother, I was attacked and um, put to the test in one situation, and his wife struggled with some bitterness for quite some time. And so that's both for my heart, that's both for her heart, that we need to be open and honest with counselors and trusted friends on how we're doing, because if you try to bury it and suppress it, it'll come back up in our marriage. And so I would say largely it has worked for our good and our sanctification, but we also have our own heart issues that we need to open ourselves up to continue to grow. So, yeah. Maybe time for one more question. Oh, yeah. Hey, thanks, Scott. Yeah, so Scott's asking, like, in hindsight, were there things that were present um, that you didn't see or that were starting to sort of come to the surface that would have maybe given you warning signs? Well, there's one memorable one. October of last year, I came in view of a call after 11 hours of questioning and answer, which I've recorded almost every question asked to me. Some of them were asked like five different times. I was given uh, an email from one of the trusted deacons saying that there were eight rumors about me uh, of reasons why the church shouldn't call me. And because this man is a man of God, he said, Blake, let's, let's take it head on. Let's answer every objection in front of 900 people after you've already done this for five days. Let's, let's do it again. So it was recorded on DVD. I'm not selling it, but it's there. And I took 50 minutes, point by point, question by question, before they took a vote um, I would say two out of the eight questions were understandable and legitimate. I don't have a seminary degree. I'm 34 years old. I'm taking on a church that had a pastor at 70 years old. I understand their concerns, but six out of the eight were demonic, ungodly, um, inappropriate, and I answered them anyway. And that was a flag for me that those particular people would not come and speak to me or the search committee, but would spread an email around, I knew that an open door had been given for me, but there were some adversaries awaiting my arrival. I just didn't know that three months later it would have gone to this extreme, uh, even after a 91% vote in calling me. So, yeah, that was the first kind of eye-opener that this is going to be a fight. So... Well, on that note, we're going to close on. Philippians up. 1 is coming up. Yeah, Philippians 1 is coming up. And, uh, oh, yeah. So just explain this. So that's my daughter, uh, the, the girl in the dress. But this room is our meeting place. 
This is Barling, Arkansas, a former construction facility that went out of business, uh, I don't know, maybe 18 years ago. But it is a basketball gym, a carpeted basketball gym. And we have uh, 200 chairs set out. Uh, they may or may not look familiar to you, but um, those chairs will be used for our dear saints and visitors that will come. Uh, that's me standing up on a ladder yesterday. So that's what it looks like set up so far. Uh, on the left side, there's the center. There's the sound that Guy's been helping us with. Yeah, so there's, we've got a bunch of pictures, but it's 813 Fort Street, Barling, Arkansas. It's adjacent to Fort Smith, and I caught right under the armpit of Chaffee Crossing, where I live, about a mile or two away from my house. And so we've, we've got a hundred, uh, this is a guy coming out of D.C., so everything's about parking. We have 152 parking spaces. Uh, and so for as a pastor, that's one stress I don't have to worry about. Uh, so we're, we're thankful for the space. Uh, we're thankful for uh, the financial ability to already do this. Uh, the, the people who are coming are already showing a lot of excitement and generosity. So, yeah, if you ever want to come down and visit us, we'd love to have you. Come check it out. We, uh, we would welcome your presence. Great. Let's pray.